Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. This is Dr. John Suppy, the Blair Professor of Geology at Princeton University, speaking at Yale on the occasion of being awarded the Wilbur Cross Medal by the Yale Graduate School. Mr. Suppy earned his Ph.D. from Yale in 1969. This is Gila Reinstein of the Office of Public Affairs at Yale University with John Suppy, the Blair Professor of Geology at Princeton University, an alumnus of the Graduate School who earned his Ph.D. in 1969 from Yale. He has returned to campus on the occasion of being accorded a Wilbur Cross Medal, which is the highest honor the Graduate School gives to its alumni. Well, thank you, Keila. It's really great to be back. And uh, of course, after being gone so many years, um, it brings back memories. Memories is an um, interesting thing. But one of the things I was thinking about was that um, in my experience coming to Yale, I was put into a new environment. This was a tremendously new intellectual environment. Um, Yale was very special in those days in that their department was forward-looking. There, there was an enormous variety of people intellectually in, in the geology building, people that you wouldn't expect to be geologists. There were people who did ecology and evolutionary bi biology, which have become hot topics in more recent years. There are people who dealt with the physics of oceans and atmospheres. And there were also people who dealt with rocks and with chemistry of fluids and things like that. But this was a heady environment. There were people that had new ideas about dinosaurs, that dinosaurs ran around like chickens, which is something that's perhaps more familiar now, but was really a radical idea at the time. And, and we were all there together in this heady environment. And that really, that was really created by some of the faculty there who had some vision for what what geology uh, could and should become. And, and so we were part of that. And, but the other thing I, I think about um, is actually the geology building, uh, Klein Geology uh, Laboratory. And, and this, uh, this laboratory was, was designed by Philip Johnson, a well-known architect. And um, he, was, he actually had a very different idea about this building than the faculty, and he was well enough known as an architect that he got his way. <laughs> and uh, the professors really wanted the graduate students to have offices near the labs, and, and uh, Johnson didn't want that. He wanted everyone together in some ghetto, and um, that's what we were in. And so we, we had this enormous diversity of people together, all together, socially and intellectually diverse people um, talking and getting to know each other and playing football together and all of these things. And uh, I remember that uh, across the hall from me was Gary Verme, who was a blind uh, ecologist, evolutionary biologist, who would, he would go into the surf and rocky surf and collect various organisms and study them. And, uh, you know, he he had to remember to listen to the sound of the neon lights to be able to turn on his lights so he wouldn't be working there in the dark so people would come in and talk with him. And uh, I actually noticed that he, he had received the cross medal a few years ago, and he's a, he's a very well-known person, but he's not someone you would have thought of as a geologist in, in those days. He actually is in a geology department now, but he was in the ecology department most of his career. And, 
And so we were thrown in there together. And, and, and we can thank, actually, Philip Johnson for doing a lot of that. It's, it's really the, both the infrastructure, the, the design of how you bring people together and, and the equipment and all of these sorts of facilities, and then the, the, the people. You have to have the right people, and, and it's, you, you can orchestrate some kind of heady mix, and you're not quite sure what's going to come out of, out of this thing. But, but certainly that group of um, people um, that I interacted with, there were material scientists who had come out of engineering that were professors in the department. And some of the things that I'll be talking about in my lecture really have very much to do with technical things I learned here that you wouldn't have normally learned. And, and so it gives you new ideas that people haven't had before. Who was your advisor? Your John, John Rogers was my advisor, and he was... Um, really a classical geologist who, who loved mountain belts and deciphering the histories of mountain belts. And, and he probably knew more about more mountain belts in the world and their histories than anyone else in, in the world. And, um, um, and, and he was really sort of an old school person in some ways in that he you weren't really part of his research group and working on one of his projects, but you were given complete freedom to just develop your own science and go off and do what you wanted to. And for me, that was an excellent uh, environment. And and then there were other people that were quite technical. Uh, Richard Armstrong was a, a geochemist that I, I worked in his lab and, and made measurements that uh, dating rocks to get the history of things. and. And uh, so, so it was. It was a, this wonderful mixture of different things that it, that end up being part of your intellectual toolkit as you go forward. And you know, the the um, one thing that you might not realize, but but intellectual fields are um, or, or specialties that you might have as a scientist or as a scholar, or even specialties you might have if you go into business. These don't last very. Long, you know, the the building out of the cell phone uh, infrastructure is something that takes ten or fifteen years. Well, the same thing is true for intellectual fields. They they grow up and saturate within uh, eight or ten years. You know, so plate tectonics started while I was a graduate student, but it, plate tectonics was really um, over from the point of view of great discoveries within ten or twelve years. And so if you might get into some field as, as a, you know, young and wet behind the ears and, and be excited about that, but that's not going to be the exciting thing in, in 15, 20 years, you know. And so you need to be able to um, go on to new things. Certainly if, you're, if you have any entrepreneurial spirit and like to break new ground, you, you go off and do other things. And, and so I think Yale really prepared me for that kind of... Um, with that kind of entrepreneurial spirit, and so I've worked on many different things over the years, and but um, but it's some of the toolkit that I got here, and 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 that spirit was was very helpful. And so I've worked on tectonics of Venus, and just uh, on lots of different things, and so it's uh, it's exciting. What are the cutting edge things in uh, areas in geology now? 
Well, actually, one of one of the the really important fields. It's not my field at all, but but is really bringing to, together molecular biology and genetics and geochemistry. And uh, I was actually chairman at at uh, Princeton uh, uh, about 15 years ago, and. And I, I recognized that this was actually an enormous opportunity and the time was ripe for this. There were, really weren't other departments dealing with this very much. But um, if you think about it, um, you know, molecular bi biology has really moved forward enormously fast. But at the same time, it's perhaps less well understood or, or appreciated, but most of the chemistry and, and most of the, uh, for example, most of the things that really control um, global warming, uh, the the uh, rise of CO2 is, is very much intricately related to the molecular biology of microbes that live in the ocean and things like that. Most of the chemistry at, near the surface of the earth is really microbial chemistry. It's not physical chemistry. And so we're we now have the tools to actually study that. And so this is blossoming into an enormous field right now. And uh, so it's one of the the new, it's sort of the equivalent of the cell phone, <laughs> I suppose, in, in, in the earth sciences right now. What are you working on now? Well, actually, I'm... I'm very much working at, I've always worked on the deformation of mountain belts and history of mountain belts and things like that. And you might think of, um, one way of thinking about that is, is that the quantum, sort of the quanta of mountain belts is actually large earthquakes, earthquakes like the big Sumatran earthquakes or these very large damaging earthquakes. And things move by a few meters or 10 meters in a single event like that. And then you wait uh, three or 400 years and there's another one of these events. And, and so it's very natural to try to bring together earthquake seismology with um, structural geology, which is my, my field. And those are, those are fields that have never been brought together. And so I'm very much involved in bringing those together. And I'm actually in the, in the uh, I've just resigned from Princeton and I'm taking a position at, at the National Taiwan University in, in, in the Far East. And Taiwan has become the, really one of the best instrumented active mountain belts in the world. And, and you, I, you were part of making that happen. Yes, actually, I was one of the first foreigners to really go there and work. Uh, this was in the early 1970s, and we've actually made a number of fundamental discoveries about how mountain belts work and how things deform, uh, from really motivated by, by things going on today in, in Taiwan. And, and so it's... Uh, Why there? Well, it, it, uh, there are many places in the world where things are actively happening. Uh, California is actively happening. I've done a lot of work, work there as, as well. But, but um, t it, it's, it's actually happening much faster in Taiwan. And then um, just the Chinese there have, have been really invested a lot in the infrastructure of science. It's, for earthquakes, it's one of the best instrumented places in the world. But also the Far East right now is a very economically active area. And this is actually driving the growth of universities in a, in a colossal way in, a way, in a way that is not going on in the United States. This would be more like the 1950s and 60s in the United States. And so it's, it's exciting time to, to be 
in places like Taiwan or Singapore or even mainland China, there's enormous investment, in, particularly in science and technology. So you'll be moving to Taiwan? Uh, yes, yes. So we're keeping our home in Princeton. We'll spend a few months a year there. But but uh, but we we this is not moving into the unknown. We've we've lived there before on sabbaticals. Our daughter and son went to Chinese elementary schools in the 1970s. So uh, so it's a, it's a, it's something that we enjoy. Yeah. Is is Taiwan bracing for a major earthquake? Well, there was actually a, a, a very large earthquake about, I guess it's 1999, the Chi Chi earthquake. And, and this, is, this was really the best instrumented large earthquake ever. And so there's so much that is, we've learned from that earthquake. And uh, it really is a laboratory of, that ha- really draws the best scientists from around the world uh, from France and the UK and the United States and Japan come there, and then also the Chinese scientists have become really world class as well. And so it's it's a quite a heady environment there, I would say. Again, like in graduate school, the bringing together of all kinds of bright minds to share. That's right. Share ideas. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. Any words of advice to? current graduate students in geology or in the earth sciences in general? Well, I, w- I would, uh, again, make this point about the, um, the short time periods of fields. And, 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 and there are many ways of contributing, but, but if it's really good to get into something new um, uh, that's just starting up. And um, once it's recognized that something has started up, it's probably already <laughs> over in some ways. And so if, if you really have an intellectually contrarian view where you really find, f- seek out things that you find interesting and also perhaps where there are new sources of data or techniques or tools. So for example, these, these tools of molecular biology, if you can bring those to bear on Earth chemistry, then that's that's very important. Or if you can bring the tools or insight from earthquake seismology into structural geology, that's that gives you something really new. You know, you know, the, the astronomers, for example, have really done very well by investing in technology and the space telescope and other things like that. Gives them new new understanding of the universe. Uh, recently, seismologists in the United States have been are in the process of outfitting the whole United States with a huge array of seismometers, which is like a giant telescope, basically, for viewing the interior of the Earth. And, and so this is a technology that's never existed before and will undoubtedly um, just allow us to see new things. And, or when I worked on Venus, when, when the Magellan spacecraft went there, that that was the first high-resolution data of Venus, and you could you could develop all kinds of theories of Venus beforehand, and you could develop sort of Tolkien-like worlds, um, but there's no substitute for for data and observation, and so it's it's this bringing together of ideas and data that is that is really fruitful. Yeah. So you don't have to just sit around waiting for the next earthquake. No, no, no. That you can wait a very long time, but. But if, you know, people who study these things work quite globally, and so the, if the next one is Sumatra, then you're in Sumatra or, you, uh, or wherever, you know, basically. 
The Wilbur Cross Medal is the highest honor the graduate school bestows on its alumni. For more on the Wilbur Cross Medal, please visit aya.yale.edu. This was recorded on October 9, 2007.